in this world hate never yet dispelled hate only love dispels hate this is the law ancient and inexhaustible in our world in our hearts and minds hate judgment aversion never yet dispelled hate judgment and aversion only our love dispels hate this is the Dharma ancient and inexhaustible it is said in this path that each of us here has the potential for unconditional for a happiness that is vast and boundless for a happiness that is not based on the changing conditions of our lives what does that mean it means we have the possibility of being happy even as we grow older. It means we have the possibility of being happy even as our bodies get sick and increasingly tired, wrinkled and aged. It means that we are happy even when we do not look as beautiful as we might have in our youth. It means we are happy whether we have partners or not, whether we are alone or in community. It means we are happy whether we have lost all our wealth or whether we have gained much. It means we are happy whether we are working or whether we're unemployed. It means we are happy no matter what the particular mind state arising in the moment. This is our vision. This is the reason, isn't it, that we're all here. Because we know the happiness that's bounded by conditions. Right? We know the happiness when we have met someone wonderful for the first time and there's that particular joy. We know the happiness of going to a restaurant and ordering the dish that's just right. The happiness of the, the beautiful tastes that are in our mouths. We know the happiness of going on vacation and it being really nice, good weather, <coughs> If, if you like to swim in the ocean like me, not, the waves aren't too big and scary. <laughs> we know the happiness of going out and buying an outfit that just fits right. The happiness of having a good meditation. <laughs> that nice, easy flow of the breath. The, the rapture that results in that. 
just one breath, just the happiness of connecting with the moment and the experience in that moment. And we also know that happiness disappear as the conditions change. We know it disappears when that breath isn't there and all we have is pain. We know that happiness disappears when the person we met didn't turn out to be so great after all and then left us. We know, or we left them. We know the happiness of going to a restaurant and ordering a dish that isn't that great and you paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> and <laughs> we know that happiness goes when we confront mind states after mind states and um, experiences in our body that don't bring happiness um, as, as a consequence of pleasure. So we all know that because we've all lived this already. And we also know that vision that's inside of us that knows there's something more than that happiness, that temporary happiness. We know that there's a way to live and a relatedness in that life that can produce a sense or can bring about a sense of connection that, that doesn't go. That happiness that doesn't go is unconditional happiness. And that kind of happiness, the Buddha said, is possible. Our hearts sense it, and it's that what brought us here. But do we really know that? Do we know it with our whole being, that that unconditional happiness is a possibility, a happiness that is not based on any particular condition. Because when we know it, we are on the path. We talked about that this morning, being on the path. When we know that, we are on the path. It's actually very simple, this part, because when we connect deeply with that possibility of unconditional happiness, then we know each moment of our experience in our lives is an invitation to come into connection and to love ourselves, because it is impossible to have unconditional happiness without loving-kindness. And it is impossible to have unconditional happiness without mindfulness. And that's my Dharma talk. Because <laughs> there's no more to be said. <laughs> I, as you know, I um, forgot my Dharma talks. So, um, Eric is so sweet, he came to me at tea time and he said, how are you doing with your Dharma talk? I said, oh, Eric, 
I haven't got anywhere. So I said, do you have any nice quotes? I don't even have any quotes. You know, with each Dharma talk, you have this nice selections of poems and quotes that you can illustrate your Dharma talk with. So we went up to his cabin, and he, um, he gave me this beautiful quote from Abraham Maslow. It says, if you set out to be less than you can be, I warn you, you will be unhappy for the rest of your life. which is kind of the other way of saying, are you on the path to unconditional happiness? Many times in our interviews, it's come up when, when we say, how's it going? It's come up, well, okay, but you know, my mind is really wandering. Well, okay, but you know, I've got this terrible pain in my back. Or, okay, but I'm just so irritated or frustrated. Or, it's not that my mind's wandering, it's that I'm on the top 10 stories. Or the top one. Or, um, oh, I just feel so tired. and. It's not just that we have these experiences, right? But they're also unpleasant. <coughs> so that's 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 what we that's what often we're facing, and it might be also that we've when we ask that question, there's like, oh, oh, I just feel tremendous softness and ease and rapture, but today I don't know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> And so then the thing is, if we're on the path to unconditional happiness, and these are also our experiences, what then is the invitation? What's the training on this path that supports unconditional happiness? It is that no matter what the experience, no matter what the experience, we are always deserving of our love. I want to say that again. No matter what our experience, we are always deserving of our love. There is a story in the Buddhist tradition of this guy called Angulimala. Is that how you say it? Angulimala. And Angulimala had an unfortunate set of circumstances in his birth, uh, of which I, I can't remember exactly, so we'll just leave it at that. And in retribution, he, he, was, he decided he was going to kill, what did he want? To kill a hundred people, a thousand, a thousand people. And each person he killed, he took their teeth or their skull, their finger, and a finger bone, and he made a necklace of these finger bones. Oh, it does. That's necklace of fingers. Necklace Angulimala, necklace of fingers. And um, this guy was so bad that when <laughs> 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 that when that when people heard he was coming, they 
they fleed, they ran away from their villages, and they didn't come back until they knew that he had gone. No one wanted to be anywhere near him. He had a really bad reputation. <laughs> and, and anyway, he was... Now, now this part, I, I, um, I'll get the essence. <laughs> He's walking down the road and the Buddha sees him. And the Buddha doesn't flee like everyone else. And Angulimala's like, hey, dude, how come you're not running? You know, he's kind of outraged because he, you know, he's kind of identified with his, with his role. And <laughs> the Buddha said something like, I've got nothing to run away from. And that really stopped Angulimala in his tracks. And he, and he was so stopped in his tracks, he actually said to the Buddha, I want to take refuge with you. And Angulimala came to enlightenment in that lifetime. And he killed a lot of people. Now, I'm saying this because it might be that each one of us carries in a little corner of our being a sense of that we're just not quite good enough for this unconditional happiness, for really thinking that we can do it. You know, that if, if we think we're not quite good enough, then there might be some sense of the actions we've done or the things that we've said, you know, or even the experiences that we've had where we think we're not quite good enough. True? Yeah, yeah. And what is so beautiful about these teachings is they say, not true. Hey, if Angulimala can do it, we can. Because I hazard to guess that we haven't killed people and created a necklace of fingers that we secretly <laughs> put on. <laughs> when we're not in a zender. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It does not matter what, what has happened, what our experiences are. Nothing ever does not deserve our love. No, I said that wrong. Nothing, everything is always deserving of our love. So that means the spiritual practice is not about creating certain experiences. It means the spiritual practice is over and over again inviting us to connect with what's happening with love over and over. Whatever the experience, the invitation is, oh my God, I have to love this too. <laughs> yes. Oh no. That's, that's harder than sitting still. That's harder than even connecting with my breath. Inviting love into this moment. Yes. That's the practice. No matter what the thought, that too is deserving of love. 
That practice is the practice of unconditional love, a love that is not based on conditions. Every time we do it, we bring about unconditional love, a love not based on any experience or any conditions. And that love keeps growing stronger and stronger until it carries us. There's a teacher who um, is called Deepama, and she said there was nothing in her mind but loving kindness and wisdom. Because she had practiced loving kindness so much that it took her and carried her. Nothing else eventually was expressed because she had worked so hard at practicing unconditional love love for each and every situation. It's a beautiful quality because it softens and it balances, because it's opening. It's the, the compost for mindfulness. It really helps mindfulness take root. It balances the tendency of mindfulness to get a little hard and to get a little sharp. It's just beautiful. So what is the other primary factor that brings about unconditional happiness? Wisdom. And what brings about wisdom? Mindfulness. Awareness. In the general scheme of things, the same thing can be said of mindfulness as can be said of loving-kindness. There is no situation in our life that ever warrants not being mindful. There is no situation in our life, no matter what, that ever warrants not being aware. Some of you have heard me say this, but the Buddha said when um, asked about how to come to this unconditional happiness or enlightenment. He said, well, if you practice for seven years, practice mindfulness, for sure you will come to, practice mindfulness, for sure you will come to unconditional happiness. No, better still, if you just practice for seven months, if you really practice mindfulness diligently for seven months, for sure you will come to this unconditional happiness. But you know what? Better still, if you practice mindfulness diligently for just seven weeks, for sure you will be liberated. And then he said, but better still, <laughs> if you practice mindfulness diligently for seven days, every minute for seven days, you will come to liberation, to unconditional happiness. So, so it's, 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 you know, it's not that complicated, really. It's not that complicated. In a way, it's just saying, be aware and be loving. Be aware and be loving. So then, why, 
Why? Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, why is it so hard? Why? Well, one is our faith. Where is our faith? Where is our faith in ourselves and our capacity? That's the first one, right? That I kind of said already with the story of Angulimala. What, what, stops, what stops our faith? What, what's one of the major obstacles? You tell me, what's one of the major obstacles in, in, on this path of loving and being aware? Attachment? Yes, attachment attachment. And what are we attached to? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. 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 What we want and what we don't want. That's what the Buddha said. He said, there is suffering in the world and there is a cause for the suffering and the suffering is attachment, craving, desire, wanting what is pleasant and pleasurable and pushing away what isn't. But it gets a bit more of an obstacle when that attachment and desire is is built into a story. And our top ten tapes that we've been talking about are our stories. And our stories are about, in the end, tell me if this is right, just think about it for a moment, attachment or desire or aversion, the opposite of that. So here's it. If we really, really had faith in our possibility for unconditional happiness, and we were in the middle of a storyline, would we keep going on in the story? If we really, really wanted unconditional happiness, would we keep on in our storylines? Would we? No. No. That's what Ponjaji said when he said, do you want freedom enough? Now, it is an art. I'm not saying it's straightforward. It is an art of how to hold our process because it's not easy. It isn't. If it was easy, we would all be free already. But it isn't easy. It's a complex art of finding the way to be mindful and of finding the way to love. I don't think it is that simple, actually. Because sometimes we can really try 
and things seem to get worse. And sometimes we can relax and we just get lost. It isn't that easy to find the way to come to hold our process in mindfulness and love. It is an art. But the Buddha said, here are some things that really help each one of us in finding the art of holding our process with mindfulness and love. And Eric talked about some of it yesterday. He said, right speech. Underneath right speech are the precepts. <coughs> and the precepts say to us, if you make if you take the invitation to refrain from harming, you will help support yourself in coming to hold yourself with love and mindfulness. If you get caught and act out hatred or anger or jealousy or envy, it will be harder to bring yourself back. Not impossible, Angulimala did it, but it will be harder. And I know we have all experienced it. I, um, I want to tell two stories about it because they're, they're both um, opposite stories but beautiful. Um, usually I feel like I'm pretty... Um, <coughs> sensitive around my speech. But I, I was driving home with my partner and we were talking about a difficult subject and um, this thing came out of my mouth. <laughs> and I and I said something to her about um, her weight. And I felt, and it really hurt her. And I felt the deepest remorse afterwards. And I, I, as I say it, I feel it. And I feel the tears that come to my eyes because I knew it wasn't healing. And I knew it was coming out of my own compulsion around stuff. And I said it. And she, she was really hurt. She just stopped talking to me. And we drove home in silence for two hours. And I felt that remorse for two days afterwards. I felt this particular shakiness that had come from acting out this, was it, this sort of compulsion to say this particular thing. Ruth Dennison tells a story of traveling in Central America and uh, with her husband. And her husband had given her this very, very beautiful sapphire ring. And um, she was wearing it and they were in the train. I can't remember what country it was in. And uh, some, someone joins, joins them, a young man, beautiful man nicely dressed, very charming, starts chatting to them and, and um, they um, end up in a long conversation 
And um, he says to Ruth, you know, it's not that safe wearing a jewelry that, that looks so, that's so expensive in a country that's so poor. I think you're, you're sort of asking for trouble. I suggest you put it in your bag. And so she did. And so she put it in her bag and um, after a while decided that she wanted to stretch her legs and w went out of the carriage and walked um, back and forth doing walking meditation, lifting, placing, shifting, lifting, placing, shifting. And the thought came to her that she should maybe mention something to Henry about her bag and keeping an eye on her bag. She, the, she, this ring was a very special present her and she loved it and so the thought was of some concern. But she sort of said, oh, you know, Henry's always fussing at me and telling me not to be so nervous and, and um, he gets irritated at me if I nag him and I, w I won't say anything. Well, Henry dozed off and this young man opened the window of the compartment, took the bag and jumped out of the train and she saw just the back of him going out of the window, <laughs> jumping, rolling onto the ground and running. And as she saw this young man running into the tree, she said, may you enjoy, may you go with love. And she said at that moment, she felt the, the most incredible opening and purification of being. Letting go, just totally letting go. And that's what the Buddha invited us to, to not move out of compulsion, to not move out of habitual responses which hurt either ourselves or others. But rather, when we're able to let go of that holding and of that habitual pattern, comes the a deepest, most profound opening. She said that opening was, was um, as, as profound as, as her opening into stream entry after three months of very intense practice, of being able in that moment to let go and to wish this being love. So the Buddha said, if we can refrain from our habitual impulses to hurt in, in action, in speech, in livelihood, Eric mentioned them around sexuality, misuse of intoxicants, We create the conditions for more loving and more mindfulness. There's another, there's another invitation that the Buddha gave us. And he, he, he said, hold your vision, that's right understanding, have faith, practice mindfulness and loving kindness, but there was something else he talked about that he talked about even more than mindfulness. And that is effort. He said, this path is impossible unless we make the effort. 
that we cannot come to unconditional happiness unless we make the effort. Each time you have brought yourself back to the breath, you have made courageous effort a critical part of the Eightfold Path and a critical part of unconditional happiness. It's like the dripping faucet that slowly fills up the bucket. It's slow, but it always fills up the bucket. Each moment you make the effort, you are building the conditions for unconditional happiness. He said, there are four kinds of effort that are really important to make. Does anyone know them? Could you guess? <laughs> There's a lot to guess, I know. <laughs> what could I guess here? Let me see. <laughs> he said, make the effort to recognize unwholesome states in your mind and to cut off the roots that feed them. He said, make the effort to cut off the roots of unwholesome states that haven't arisen in your mind. He said, make the effort to bring about wholesome states and make the effort to bring about wholesome states that haven't arisen in your mind. So support wholesome states that have arisen and make the effort to bring about those that haven't yet arisen. Make the effort to cut the roots of unwholesome states that have arisen and make the effort to cut the roots of those that haven't arisen. So the first one is the first one is um, kind of obvious to when we feel the energies of um, the energies of wanting to lash out, for example, at someone, we make an effort, we refrain from doing that. Make the effort to um, cut the roots of unwholesome states that haven't arisen. Uh, here's here's, a, here's a, a good one. I've noticed that if I get too tired, unwholesome states arise. So that if I push myself at night, like say, you know, I think I, you know, I'm not, I, think I have a lot to do, and it's 10, and then it's 10.30, and then I say 11 o'clock, and then I go down to the bathroom, and, and um, I'm doing my teeth, and Shah sort of wants to get into, I shouldn't keep mentioning her name, because she says to me, what are all these things you say in your Dharma talks, and I'm not even there. <laughs> I can't defend myself. <laughs> but this is mostly about me. And, and I watch myself feeling irritated, you know? Or she's just coming into the sink to use the sink to do her, to do her eyes. But I'm irritated. N not for any good reason. I'm just tired, and I just want the basin to myself, you know? I don't want her to be doing her no big deal. I'm just tired, you know. And then, and then, um, you know, she'll she'll say something like, um, you know, have you have you switched the phones down? And, and that's an important question because we have four of them. 
and <laughs> all different lines. We have six phones, seven phones, four different lines in our house. So, and you know, and, and I watch myself get grumpy, you know? Yes, I say. <laughs> Making the effort to make sure I don't get overtired is a way of making sure I cut off the roots of unwholesome states that haven't arisen if I go to bed before I get really tired. It's like looking at our life and saying, what are the conditions that give rise to unwholesome states? And can I bring about conditions that cut off those unwholesome states from arising. And what brings about wholesome states? And can I support the conditions that bring about wholesome states? Um, I took the practice of bringing about wholesome states that haven't arisen by practicing appreciation and gratitude. Um, I was studying at the Buddhist Study Center and I was reading um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, a, a really wonderful um, um, uh, Buddhist who has done a lot of writing um, on, on Buddhism. And he wrote this little tract, there aren't very many of them, on generosity. And on, in one of the tracts he, he says, when you notice that there isn't generosity arising in your mind, then you just say to yourself, oh, I'm not feeling generous because I haven't practiced generosity. And all that means is that I have to practice generosity a little more. And I was like, wow, how liberating. Not, oh my God, I'm selfish, or oh my God, I'm no good. But, oh, there isn't generosity in my mind. Oh, I just have to practice more of it. So. That was very inspirational for me, and so I decided to take appreciation and gratitude as my practice because I'm an aversive type. When I look at things, my tendency is to criticize them. Wow, did you, did, did you notice those? I, I, I catch myself thinking, that neighborhood, they didn't, they, they didn't really um, plan the way they laid out their houses very nicely. Or, God, did you taste that? There was so much oregano in that. Or, I mean, my mind is great. It, it can go non-stop. <laughs> Aversive criticism, moment after moment after moment. And so I decided I wanted to practice the um, wholesome state of gratitude and appreciation because it hadn't arisen yet. <laughs> and and so and so for um for about 6 months every night I decided before I went to bed to appreciate some things during the day and it could just it could have just been one moment it could have been the fact that the sun shone. It, 
it didn't it didn't really matter. I mean, it, it, it was nice if I could find something I'd done that I felt good about. But if I couldn't find anything I'd done, then I went to someone else and appreciated what someone else did. And if I was so aversive and I couldn't even find anything to appreciate about anyone else during that day, then I would appreciate just the world. The fact that there were trees or that there were stars in the sky or that um, I had had food to eat. And, and I, tried to, I tried to give myself a list so that I had to make some effort at it. And I, I can't say that I'm not aversive anymore, but I can say that I'm a little more appreciative in my life. That's practicing courageous effort. <laughs> <laughs> so the Buddha said, working with the precepts, making courageous effort to bring about wholesome states and to cut off the roots or to refrain from feeding unwholesome states. And he said one more thing, and that was, I've pretty much covered the Eightfold Path except for one thing, and that is concentration concentration, right understanding, vision, right thought, which goes very much alongside that, uh, right livelihood, action, speech. So that's the one section, right understanding, right thought. Next section, basically the precepts. And then the next section, the meditation practice. We've talked about effort. We've talked about mindfulness. Last one, concentration. Because unless we focus our mind, unless we bring it to the experience, we can't know the experience, right? We have to, we have to align and focus the mind to the attention, uh, to the experience, whatever it is. Breathing, thoughts, body sensations, pleasant, unpleasant, our speech, anything to do with our senses. Actually, that quality is there all the time. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to know we were seeing or hearing or tasting or walking. It's there, but we just have to strengthen it. We have to strengthen our one-pointedness. The beauty of concentration is that it brings a tremendous softness and ease into our minds. To, to pay attention to what we're doing is not only important because it allows us to see, but because that process also brings, just to pay attention, an ease of being, a softness. And the full expression of that is the jhana states in our meditation practice. But just in our life, to pay attention actually makes a difference. It doesn't even matter what we're paying attention to. Just to pay attention to the fact that we're driving and that we're noticing the cars, even on that basic level, is, is bringing about a, a connectedness in the mind. Because it connects, right? To pay attention means to 
focus and to connect with the object. That's actually the definition, to connect. We can just to pay attention, to focus on your experience, just to do that is to support the factor of concentration. Time for another quote. <laughs> I am an old man who has seen many troubles, most of which never happened. <laughs> he wasn't concentrating. <laughs> Finally, mindfulness. Mindfulness enables us to see. Think for a moment of your life without awareness, without any awareness. What would happen? Just imagine it. Imagine not having the capacity to see and to be aware we would be like mice running on those wheels. We would be acting out habitual patterns because we couldn't see them. We would just be acting out habitual patterns. There would be no way we could look at something and say, is this supporting my unconditional happiness? It is such a beautiful quality, the quality to be able to notice what's happening. And it isn't even always that it's an intellectual game of, oh, what's happening is this supporting my happiness. Often, in just noticing, in the noticing comes the knowledge of, oh, this isn't serving me. This is not serving my wholesomeness. This is not serving my loveliness. This is not serving my unconditional happiness. This is not serving that sense of what brings me into connectedness, a deep connectedness. Mindfulness can do that. When it's strong, it does that automatically. It just sees what actually is healing for us. It's such a beautiful, it is such a beautiful quality of the mind. It is so liberating because it says, hey, stop you guys, that isn't supporting your vision. Or yes, yes, keep on doing this, this is supporting your vision. It is so liberating, it is just wonderful. And yes, in the beginning, it's tedious. But I know that each one of you have had a moment where you have seen what you've done and said, oh my God, I'm doing that. You know, wow, I'm really doing that. You know, in a moment of seeing our judging and really seeing it and saying, wow, I'm really judging myself. Oh, then in that seeing comes the invitation for the loving-kindness. In that seeing comes the invitation for the letting go to create and support unconditional happiness. There, it, 
it is deeply transforming and liberating, the practice of mindfulness. And that's why the Buddha said, just seven days, just seven days, moment by moment, just practicing it full on for seven days, and we liberate our hearts and minds.